PBS interviewed the head of Al Qaeda, and they're really moving in this direction. That once they clean up Al Qaeda's image enough, to they will will start being open about the fact that they're actually sending them weapons. But they are; they're already happening. The weapons are coming through Turkey, which is NATO, um, across mm. the board with Syria. At the end of the day, the most important thing for the U.S. is to keep Idlib province under Al Qaeda control. Hi everyone. Before we start, I want to take a minute to talk about my next book. You may have heard about the story of GameStop in January or February and thought it was all over. You're sadly mistaken. Unfolding Online has been a clash between the corrupt practices of Wall Street and the hive mind of the internet. It's a hot, raging information war pitting retail investors against financial giants swimming in corruption and fraud. The trailer is at the end of this podcast, but if you want to help crowdfund the book or just find out more, you can sign up to my mailing list to get access to a preview of chapter one or go to whenmoon.com to read more about the book. The first 200 people to pre-order the book will get a free pack of To The Moon crayons with their book. I just want to make a quick mention of our sponsors. Namecheap are one of the cheapest places on the internet to get a domain name for your next website. I've used Namecheap for all the sites I've ever purchased and I've found it really easy to use. Spreaker are a rapidly growing platform for podcast recording, publishing, and monetization with pricing plans as low as $7 per month. A cheap way to host your podcast and start earning from your back catalog of shows. Finally, ExpressVPN is the internet's most trusted VPN. Protect your privacy and watch and view content that is location locked you could even try watching Netflix from a different country. And right now, they're offering 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Please use the links in the description below if you want to support the show. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm talking to Maram Susli, who is a Syrian-Australian YouTube content creator and also known as Partisan Girl on Twitter. Uh, Maram, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no problem. So uh, you were telling me before uh, we started and yesterday that you've just broken um, a piece on Twitter censorship. Do you want to tell tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, it's yet to be published. Um, hopefully it'll be published in about a day or two. I um, essentially have been censored or my Twitter account is currently locked because of a tweet that I don't believe broke the terms and conditions. Um, what my the content of my tweet was that uh, Palestinians that there's a genocide going on against Palestinians. But by comparison, the U.S. is constantly telling us about um, a Uyghur genocide happening in China. But I've seen actual evidence of a genocide against Palestinians, whereas I've not seen evidence for a genocide against Uyghurs in China. And yet, um, you know, we don't really talk about that. Uh, and the truth shall set you free. That is essentially the content of my tweet, was to compare what is, what's going on in Palestine, which I think is legitimately a genocide, versus what the US is telling us is happening, that, that China is committing, and why one is being focused on and the other is ignored. So Twitter, uh, you know, f- told me I have to delete this because it breaks TOS, and I... Um, if I were to delete it, I would get 12 hours only, like a 12-hour ban, um, and then I can have my Twitter account back. But instead of doing that, I thought, I'm not going to accept this. I'm going to take a stand. So I requested for the tweet to be to appeal, thinking that if a human being were to see this, they'd realize this. This doesn't. This is like my right of an opinion. It doesn't. I'm not harassing anyone as clean. But mm-hmm. what I got back from them was uh, this breaches our denial of violent events uh, content. So okay. they have a rule against denying violent events. So, but I've not seen anyone from the Israelis or the Zionist lobby get banned for denying the genocide against Palestinians. But mm-hmm. if you deny, um, sorry, my lights just turned off. I just need to turn it back. That's right. 
Um, but if you deny, like, what, or even if you question something that's coming from the State Department, for which, like, no international body has ruled that there's any kind of genocide happening against Uyghurs um, in China, then, then suddenly now you're questioning the narrative of the State Department, and hence you must be banned. Hmm. Uh, that's interesting that you say that there's been no one has uh, confirmed the or has like declared officially that there's a genocide. Um, the UK government definitely uh, said something. And um, I, yeah, I spoke to uh, I don't want to get bogged down in this bit, but I spoke to um, Dr. Erkin Siddick, who's a, a scientist at NASA and he's from Xinjiang. And he has like been back there personally. And now I can't go back out of fear of um persecution so um i mean he he seemed pretty genuine when he was talking to me so i'm yeah i just want to make sure we we don't like say that it's definitely not happening because yeah but the 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 what you're saying about the the double standards is correct correct because genocide is where you you don't want and you will exterminate an entire ethnic group because Mm -hmm. they um you don't want them to live in this area. With Palestinians, uh, because they're not Jewish, the Zionists do not want them to exist in the the Levant, basically. They and so that's why they're pushing them out of their homes. They're killing them. They're putting them in jail. They don't have. They're not giving citizenship, so they're considered non-people. We've seen the vi- we've seen videos of violence. We've seen the mm-hmm. by comparison. Um, there's no such equivalent happening in Xinjiang province that I've seen. You can say that, that you can't say that there's um, prison camp, you can say that they, maybe their rights are being violated, but to call it a genocide, that is a completely different and legal issue. And that's why um, I think that what the US has done is try to redefine the word genocide because there isn't like a mass violence event, basically, mm. like the Nakba for Palestinians where they were actually like ethnically cleansed and made to death march across the desert into to Jordan, that hasn't happened in Xinjiang. So mm. I'm just trying to point out that there is a hypocrisy here. Not to say that like individual rights, that's, that's, that's a different topic. But even the CFR and the economists recently um, said, is genocide really the right word to use for Xinjiang? So they, you know, the economist and the CFR can make such comments, but I can't tweet, you know, comparing what's happening to Palestinians to what's happening in Xinjiang province, because uh, I think this has really got nothing to do with the Uyghurs or Xinjiang province. I think that this is the Zionist lobby trying to exploit the rules of uh, Twitter to, to silence me because I said there was a Palestinian genocide. And that's really the main issue here. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's an awful situation. I guess the other the other thing is that there's a lot more um, video footage and photographs and things that are, are coming out of um, Palestine compared to you know China's very shuttered and closed off. Like you can't really get near any of these places to to see what's actually happening. Whereas the yeah the the, the violence going on um, in Israel and, and Palestine is 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 very well documented. Um, it's it's on yeah. Uh, I mean yeah. Maybe the spin is is not um, accurate the way it's being presented in the press. But there's at least um, we at least have lots of footage and evidence of things happening there, especially from people on the ground. So it's yeah. It's 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 a lot more clear cut. I think. I think with with the movement of Palestinians, like if you're a Palestinian in the West Bank you have to have special permission from Israel to move to another town in your own region. And there's no way you'll ever go to the beach and you can't move to Gaza. People in Gaza can't move to the West Bank. And sometimes like people can't even leave their villages. So in that sense, um, the, the fact that we have the internet has really helped for these images and things to occur. But in terms of people being able to enter and document that's still difficult, I think, in, for um, international groups to go into Palestine. Mm. They would have to have some kind of, you know, uh, lie about their intentions in order to go. And I think that uh, even still, like what we're seeing in the spin on it 
is heavily controlled by the Zionist lobby. So there, um, and the fact that my tweet got censored, but someone denying the Palestinians' genocide would not get censored for denial of a violent event, that just goes to highlight the amount of control that the Zionist mm. has over the discourse on this topic. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it also shows how, how much Twitter sort of selectively apply their terms of service. And like Twitter aren't the only one that are... Um, guilty of it i mean i've seen posts that you've you've made um talking about uh facebook either throttling or censoring your posts about about israel do you want to um yeah give yeah. a little more detail on that and like why you think they're what they what facebook's motivation is if it's the same or something a little different actually that's uh interesting that this censorship isn't just happening on one of my platforms it's happening across multiple platforms and i think that that shows that I've been targeted specifically. And in both cases, the tweets that, or the comments that were censored were specifically about Israel and its extermination of Palestinians. So one doesn't have to be a genius to conclude that this is a targeted uh, censorship attempt by the Zionist lobby. Now with Facebook, it's interesting because I actually have a bunch of contacts of people inside Facebook that are specifically like their job is to make sure that political discourse is um, equal. And I emailed these individuals telling them like, um, this is unfair censorship because we have a right to uh, say what the tweet that I wrote was that Israel is the Jewish ISIS. And that is my opinion. It is the Jewish version of ISIS, it is the Jewish state in the Levant. And um, that is my experience as someone from the Levant who whose own people have been exterminated by both ISIS and Israel. I mean, the Golan Heights was, uh, you know, all Syrian and now it's being uh, taken over by Israel. So the people that are from the Golan, they can't go back to their homes, they can't go back to their villages. That's the very definition of ethnic cleansing. So in our experience, there's very little difference between Israel and ISIS. Both of these people have tried to exterminate us based on religion, what they think that God owes them our land. So mm. I think that um, that is the point that I was making. And that's now not allowed by Facebook. No explanation given. I even emailed these individuals that work inside Facebook. No response. So... Uh, they basically, the, I think the message here is um, they're under, they, uh, they don't want to step on the wrong toes and that those toes are probably related to the ADL, probably related to the Zionist lobby. Mm. Why is it that you think the Zionist lobby and the, is, like the pro-Israeli lobby um, has so much power? Well, this really goes back to it's a that's a very complicated question i think that um there's many facets to this so there's special interest groups that for um specifically in the united states there's these special interest groups that uh will give money to certain politicians if they are pro-israel and there's also a barrier to entry. I think specifically Cynthia, um, former Senator Cynthia McKinney, who made news recently um, for one of her tweets. And I, I kind of also made news because I defended her right to free speech because they tried to censor her for it, um, the Israeli lobby, that she said that when she was trying to be a senator in the United States, in order to get donations, they tried to make her sign a document that said that she believes in the right for Israel to exist in Palestine. So mm. um, she kind of shone a light on the fact that uh, if you, this is the one topic for, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, you can have conservative values or, but you, at, at the very least, you have to believe in Israel's right to exist. And that is the, one thing that all these American politicians share across the board. Money is a big part of it. I think Ilhan Omar said it's all about the Benjamins. They want donors, like these politicians, <coughs> to their campaign. 
Um, and also there's bullying. I mean, if you do come out and say, I don't believe that Israel has a right to exist, then you will be deemed an anti-Semite, just like Jeremy Corbyn, even though he didn't even say that much. They, there's the, the media will come out against you. And the influence in the media, that also is from money, like who establishes these companies. Uh, and for example, Ezra Levant, you know, he's got money, he builds, he's got rebel media, he builds his content and he will hire you if you, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, don't worry. Um... My last sentence. Yeah, where were we? Um, uh, Ezra, Levant. Ezra Levant. Yeah. Although that was just a, an example. So, mm. yeah, media is like Ezra Levant, Rebel News. You know, he has money, he establishes a platform, and he'll only hire people that push the, the, the line. And we know that there's many mm. journalists in CNN and BBC that were fired for taking a pro-Israel stance. So there's also this element of fear that they, um, you know, promote that if you don't, I think it's very, very, like people will look at the media and they'll say, but, but they're acknowledging that Palestinians are being treated unfairly. And I think mm. that uh, recently it's become just so difficult to deny mm. what's happening that um, it would be embarrassing to, to try. But the word uh, apartheid is now being used by many people. But the word genocide is something that's still being deemed dangerous and that we're not allowed to speak about. Hmm. I mean, I guess I, I didn't used to think that the the attitudes of like the Israeli people were as strong as I as they they seem to be. At least um, I remember watching that video that Abby Martin had made um, in when she was in, I think she was in ooh, Tel Aviv, maybe. And she was just interviewing people on the street. And they, like just the, the, the language and the, the way they were talking about the, the Palestinian people was, was a really terrifying, like, I don't know, just othering of, of like a group of people as if they deserved to like die or, or at least like be thrown from their land. And the thing that honestly confuses me, and I don't know, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, is that, for example, you get someone like uh, Barry Barry Weiss, who is um, normally quite on the side of uh, like social justice warrior sorts of people, right? The the very like politically correct sort of lobby. And to them, generally, it seems to me that the the attitude is always like, you know, speak your truth. And whatever you say and you've experienced, that's like the way the world is. And then when you say, you know, it's my experience having lived in um, parts of Palestine and, and like witnessing the 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 violence, the discrimination, the like the genocide, as you've described it firsthand. And you say, look, that's that's what I have seen. And they can just write you off as if just because like they don't like what your truth is, all of a sudden it doesn't matter. And I, I've never quite got how they can like justify that in their minds. There's this, this line that is drawn in the sand, uh, like it's the one rule that you can't uh, say. And it's funny because I'm from Syria. Okay, I am from the Levant. My parents, when they were teenagers, they were there under the Israeli bombs in 1973. If anyone has a right to speak their truth about Israel, at the very least, someone from the Levant can. And in my experience, they have been just as bad as ISIS. That's my truth. But that's, I'm not allowed to say that. I'm not allowed to say, hey, we're being exterminated. No, that would be racist of me. That would be anti-Semitic. And mm. it's, it is a complete hypocrisy. How, does, how do individuals like Barry Wise, um, like, you know, justify this? I think uh, even Rachel Maddow will never really talk about the plight of Palestinians, even though she's seen as this uh, liberal. Mm. What people need to understand is that um, at the very, very beginning, when Israel was created in 1948, or even before that, let's go back to before World War II, like in 1920, when the first boatloads of illegal Jewish immigrants were arriving from Russia, Mm -hmm. They wanted to 
what they were trying to sell this Jewish state as is a communist utopia. That's why the concept of kibbutz comes from. And, um, you know, at the time, a lot of the biggest uh, intel, uh, like uh, thinkers and, and uh, communists were, and writers were Jewish. So that's the way it was sold to the world. Like, um, you know, this is going to be a, a communist utopia. It's not going to be racist and it's going to be egalitarian. But we're going to have to push out all of these Arabs. But don't worry, because they're not human. Um, they're not European like us. And you and me, we're European. But these guys, they're from the Middle East. And therefore, they, we can just say that this land has no people in it. We are a people without a land. And here is a land without a people, essentially. So hmm. um, that is what has been is Israel since its inception was sold to the world as this liberal, a liberal state. And I think that a lot of these um, uh, liberal Zionists, what we call them, want to retain that image from what it is really now, which we all know that it is an ethno state. Well, that's what they try to claim to be, um, even though there's some disagreement as to whether that's true, because obviously, Jewish it may be an ethnicity, but it's not a race because they're coming mm. from all over the world. So in my view, it's more like a religious state than anything. Um, mm. So the point is that that's the mentality that they come from. And so that's where they draw the line. They draw the line on Israel. And there's an element of gatekeeping as well. You know, it's um, they, won't, they will just control the discourse on the left. And there are lines that you can't cross. And we saw what happened to Jeremy Corbyn when he tried to cross mm. them. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I still will never understand how the most prominent anti-racist campaigner in Britain in the last 40 years was successfully smeared as an anti-Semite. Like, <laughs> um, it still stuns me. Um, like, I, I, it, I don't think you could pick someone like less concerned about where someone was from. Um, but yep. when I'm looking at, yeah, when I'm looking at some of the stuff that, that, that happens in 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 Israel and, and Palestine and in the conflict is like, sometimes I'm looking at it and uh, I, I can't pretend to like understand like the really specific ins and outs of it. It's um, an incredibly complex topic. And um, one of my friends likes to like poke fun at anyone who ever like starts complaining about the conflict. Cause he's like, how do you solve it then? Come on, you know so much, please tell me how you solve it. Like he, he likes to like shoot down people trying to, yeah. He likes to shoot. Yeah. Okay. Tell yeah, your friend, please. Just tell him, um, make all Palestinians, whether they be Jewish or not Jewish, equal citizens in one state. You can call it mm. Israel or you can call it Palestine. And that's it. Problem solved. Okay. So Why? you're an advocate of like a one state solution. Correct. It's the most logical thing because at this point, there are, there's 15% of Israel's population are Palestinian. And there is a large, like, and growing number of illegal Jewish settlers living on Palestinian land. And what Israel's policy at the moment is, is to slowly exterminate Palestinians. And they've had some varying success, right? But the thing is that Palestinians are not going to go down without a fight. And they're, they're a tenacious people because, like, I come from the Levant and we've been around for 10,000 years. Jerusalem was built by Canaanites from which Palestinians descend. So we're not really going to go anywhere. So the conflict is going to keep going unless everyone agrees. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim. As long as you live on this land, you can be equal and you can travel equally. At, the, at this current juncture, there are Palestinians that are stateless, which means they can't, they don't even have a passport. So um, imagine living your life like that and being seen as persona non grata, basically don't exist as a human being and you have no rights. So I don't believe in a two-state solution because they're already too mixed up. And in, in, in any sense, there are people in all over the world 
who are Palestinian, who come from Haifa, who were pushed out of their homes. And they come from those villages and they've historically come from those villages. And we know in the United Nations that um, refugees have an inalienable right of return. Mm -hmm. So justice says that a one state solution is what's the only viable solution. But the problem is that the people who are most against that are actually the liberal Zionists. So the you have the, uh, the liberal Zionists, most important thing is to keep the idea of the possibility of the two-state solution like viable and alive. But um, the, you know, <laughs> the right-wing Zionists want the one-state solution, but they don't want anyone that isn't a Jew in it. Um, so <laughs> those are the two positions you can have. Uh, and a one-state solution where everyone's equal is something that is deemed the, of the utmost danger, even though it's the most just. Mm, that's interesting. I have not actually, I think, heard anyone even advocating for that before. Um, the the thing that like springs to my mind, at least anyway, is like coming from Northern Ireland. So I don't know how, how much you know about, about Northern Ireland. So we had... Um, a Okay, so we had like a 30, 40 year civil war, basically, um, yeah. where there was a lot of people throwing petrol bombs and blowing each other up about um, about whether we were British or Irish. It was like a very, um, yeah, it was a very identity driven conflict uh, to, yeah, put it in a nutshell. There's obviously more complex parts of it, but yes. so uh, one of the fears that that nationalists or um republicans catholics whatever you, however you want to put it the the people who believed they were irish had was that um any government that was put in place that tried to encapsulate both sides of the community would then be dominated by um in our case it would have been the protestant majority um and that they would have like subjugated the 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 nationalist republican catholic sort of portion of of the population because that's what had happened for the the first 50 or so years of the Northern Irish state. And um, it's been a very, very long and violent road to get us to a point where everyone can like peacefully coexist. Um, and it feels like the, 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 the you know, the Israel-Palestine, uh, I don't know, conflict is... Uh, 20 to 100 times more explosive and more violent um there's been uh, you know we, we we were never firing like we were never flying jets over the other you know the other side of belfast and dropping bombs leveling whole yes. buildings there was never you know people's homes were rarely put at risk essentially you know we had some awful bombings but it wasn't anywhere near the scale of what's got, what's sort of been happening, even in just the last 18 months in, um, in like Gaza, in the West Bank. And I am skeptical that that's even a possibility, basically, as a, a one state solution. Do you, do you want to like convince me? Well, the only alternative is genocide. Mm. So we really can't. There is no two-state solution. Like, nobody, the, the Israelis don't want it. The mm. Palestinians don't want it. The Palestinians want a one-state solution where everyone's equal. The Israelis want a one-state solution where they exterminate all Palestinians. The only people that are hallucinating of the two-state solution are the liberal Zionists. And I think the last few years under Netanyahu has completely pushed them like to the point where even like the people who would advocate for a two-state solution, like Norman Finkelstein, for example, even he now is like, oh, actually, I was wrong. Maybe, maybe the one-state solution is the only solution. So, um, the thing is that with the Irish situation, there are similarities to draw, and I've spoken to a lot of Irish people about this. In fact, uh, between the situation in Palestine and the situation in Ireland. But there are also some huge differences. For example, uh, under no scenario did you not possess British citizenship, like a mm. citizenship to a state. Mm -hmm. Palestinians don't have citizenship to a state. They are stateless and therefore they have no rights as 
like they, they're not citizens they have no rights mm. um uh, the other thing is that with britain and the irish there there was some ethnic cleansing especially you know a few hundred years ago um but the the uk um and ireland border each other so it's a border dispute whereas in the case of Israel or the Jewish state, the people came from all over the world because of a religion. And therefore, it is more similar to ISIS because they also came from all over the world because of a religion, told them that that land belongs to them and no one else. And I think that that religious element to it, a lot of these like uh, illegal Jewish settlers You'll hear them say it. They'll say, like, God gave me the right to this land. Yes, I am here to exterminate these Palestinians. And because of that religious fervor, unfortunately, you I know there was an element of, like, the Catholic and the Protestant thing in Ireland, but did the Protestants, <laughs> the Protestants say that God gave me the right to this land and therefore I have the right to kill you? I don't think it went that far. Um, mm. There was some, you know, schism in who is going to be in power and is it going to benefit one group or the other. But there's no, there wasn't like we need to just kill everyone kind of thing as designers mm. of the Palestinians. So that that fact, the fact that they come from all over the world means that they all have um, passports. So to another country. So a lot of the Ameri the Jewish Americans that live in Israel, like the one that he's like, if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Jacob. Uh, he has passport. He was just like one year ago, he was living in Europe. So it's not that it's like he was there all his life and he, it's a, you know, he's been living there for 800 years, like a Protestant in Northern Ireland. No, it's like he came here yesterday and he took over someone's house. Like he's he's from America, and that's happening constantly. That's the difference between Ireland and Northern Ireland and Palestine. Every year, there's a new uh, like boatload of immigrants from all over the world that have no history on that land, except for the fact that they happen to be a certain religion, and they're taking over land and space that was historically Palestinian. Um, and your situation has somewhat resolved because there was a peace treaty. Mm. The situation in Palestine, the Oslo Accords, the, was the peace treaty, was the attempted peace treaty. What happened? You know, it, uh, the, the Israeli president that uh, signed that was assassinated by Israelis. And Arafat was poisoned. <laughs> by Israelis. Mm. And Clinton got Monica lewinsky which Monica Lewinsky was, by the way, <laughs> interestingly linked to the Mossad. So, I no just way. that's a conspiracy, but please investigate it I yourself. There's a book out. about it called Gideon Spies. Um, very, very interesting book. Uh, so, I think that the whole Oslo Accords thing it just doesn't work in this situation. It's, it's not the same. We really need, um, there, and there are people who are advocating for one state solution. And those are the people that we need to put our weight behind. Um, because it's the, yeah, the, the two-state solution is, is just not going to happen. Besides, look at the way that things are divided. The, at the very start, when they, when the UN was, like drawing the lines of what Israel and Palestine are going to be, they created like this uh, Harlequin outfit pattern. You know, they took all of the water territory, the the most fertile land, and they gave it to the Jewish population. And then it's discontinuous. I mean, Gaza is over here and the West Bank's over there. It's discontinuous. And there's still a population of Palestinians inside like the Levant proper, like Palestine, the west side where the water is. It was designed to fail, is what I'm trying to say. It's not like north and south. Mm. It's intermeshed. And that is just, the people have family, like the thing is that people still have family on the other side. 
So mm. just it's the only solution is a one-state solution, um, and it's gonna happen regardless. And that's the thing that, um, and I'm, this is my way of convincing you: the liberal Zionists are afraid that the right-wing Zionists are going to try to take over all of Palestine by, you know, saying the West Bank is now part of Israel, like Netanyahu tried to do. Um, but they're going to fail to, to get rid of Palestinians. And therefore, they're going to have to give Palestinians citizenship. And because of demographics alone, this, the, the idea of a Jewish state will no longer exist. That is the fear of the liberal Zionists. Um, and that is why it's so important for them for the two-state solution to be maintained as an illusion because then nobody will say, actually, can you just give Palestinians citizenship? That's, mm. that's, that's the, the statement that is they're afraid of the most, I think. Okay. Yeah, I just checked out what you said about Monica Lewinsky, actually, just briefly, and it says, yeah, in this book, The Secret History of Mossad, that the author claims that eight months before Kenneth Starr had ever heard of Monica Lewinsky, the Israelis had about 30 hours of recorded tapes of President Bill Clinton talking intimately with her. It is also written that Jerusalem was keeping these tapes either for blackmail or to defend its mole in the White House, whose code name was Mega. That's stunning. I mean, I, I, next week I get to, I'm interviewing um, Kirby Summers, who's just released a book about Ghislaine Maxwell, and she's written quite extensively about... Uh, Epstein as well, who were obviously um, almost definitely Mossad linked or Mossad agents. So that's 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 interesting and terrifying at the same time, isn't it? Um, the yeah, yeah, the power of the Israeli state is yeah. I mean, and yeah, the just the and then they they just had that that Operation Pegasus thing revealed, where they were like tapping thousands of journalists' phones. Um, like that, that feels like if that was Russia or China or, or Venezuela or like any, any of like the, the big, I don't know, you can call them enemies, like geopolitical rivals, whatever. But like, if any of them were doing that, we'd be like, hang on, what the fuck? Like, calm down. Like we need to do something about this. And this, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It would be, you know, you'd be having three years of investigations that seems to have brought nothing, um, which is still stunning to me because I feel like there was probably stuff you could have prosecuted people for. Um, I don't know how, how how egregious it was is is up for debate, but I'm just I'm still stunned that they didn't get more convictions out of something they seemed so certain about, and yet this there seems to be no cries for like international sanctions or. I don't know. I guess it kind of just speaks to the power of the uh, the Israeli state that no one's willing to challenge them for whatever reason. I, I, I don't know. Well, at least the Americans, like how many times has Israel been caught spying on Americans? How many times have the Americans acted on it? I mean, here in Australia, I'll tell you a story since I'm from Australia. Uh, well, I live here, originally born in Syria, but... Um, they, the Israelis were discovered stealing Australian passports and using them to go to the um, United Arab Emirates and assassinate people. So essentially, they were putting Australian citizens at risk by doing this. And the Australian intelligence community um, found out through a Israeli double agent, like an Australian Israeli, who you know told them what was happening. So they asked for. Um, them to stop, but they refused to stop. They kept go doing it, and eventually the prime minister went to the United Nations and made a formal complaint about them. Mm. And the fallout of this is the Israeli double agent um, was thrown into a, to jail and then killed um, and by the Israelis. And the Australian prime minister Kevin Rudd. And this is in his book, said that the Zionist, uh, the head of the Zionist lobby here in Australia threatened him that he was going to be removed and replaced by Julia Gillard, which was what exactly what happened. Like a few months later, Julia Gillard took, took, did an internal coup and took over um, the leadership. And he was like one of the most popular prime ministers here. 
And he wasn't even like against the state of Israel. He was for the revolution. But Julia Gillard, like one of the first things she did was she visited Israel on a trip. Um, and ever since then, there's been political upheaval in Australia. I don't know if you've noticed that we're always having internal coups and the prime minister is constantly changing. I mean, it was because of that. It was mm-hmm. because Kevin Rudd complained that Israel was stealing Australian passports and assassinating people with them. And that's just not allowed, I guess. This is from That's his interesting. own words, I, Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that that was the reason for the, the constant chopping and changing there for the last few years of, of prime ministers. Yeah. I think it set the precedent, mm. um, but that was the initial, that was the first time that it actually happened. Mm. Okay. Yes. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, what, what is your sense on why no one will challenge Israel on this properly? Because, I mean, just looking at it from the outside, from my um, vaguely ignorant um, understanding of it, is it like it looks like like Israel committing war crimes, like, and, and you know, the violent, yeah, I mean, like the violent expansion of territory, just like anytime I hear anything, like, and people are always like, oh, you know, Hamas are just as bad. And I'm sure Hamas have done some fucked up shit as well. Um, but I don't know. It just feels like the, the, the difference in firepower or just the, the, the damage being leveled or the way, like, if you look at people in, 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 in parts of Israel and then you look at like the state of Palestine, like they don't really compare. Like there's people living in, like as prisoners in, in their own, you know, villages. And there, I heard stories of the, the, the crutches being taken away from people who'd been injured by bomb blasts in case they used the crutches as weapons. And like that, that doesn't feel like it's, it's a both sides argument to me, at least anyway. Like, why do you think that no one is willing to challenge Israel on this? Because it has to get real sinister, I think for, yeah, fear, but fear of what? I'm being censored on all platforms and, um, like it, it can have real world consequences for you. You could be like Jeremy Corbyn, become like labeled an anti-Semite. People are afraid that it'll affect their work. You know, it's, it's, I think fear is what drives people to silence about these crimes. And the statement that, and also there's a lot of disinformation. I mean, these people are the masters of disinformation. They're literally, like, you know, when we talk about genocide, we think of it as, oh, you know, the Native Americans, they were genocided. That's just something that happened a long time ago when people were uh, not as sophisticated or they were just racist. And if you were alive at that time, you surely make a stand. But you are alive at this time. It's something that's happening now. It's kind of like saying, oh, the Comanches were just as bad. That's what layers, that's what they mean when they, when they say Hamas is just as bad. But Hamas is a reaction to the creation of a Jewish state. Mm. That, that's like, it, it's, it's almost as though saying that the groups that fought ISIS in Syria were just as mm. bad because they were employing violence against these poor Muslims who have been discriminated against by Europeans and they just want to create their own state because you must sympathize with them for that. Like the, the same narratives can be applied to ISIS is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say ISIS agrees. That's the theory. No, that what I'm trying to say is that the same narratives can be applied to ISIS. And as such, it, they make, it actually doesn't make any sense. Um, mm. So ISIS aren't good, they're bad. And fighting them is therefore good. So I don't agree that, uh, Hamas can be seen as equal. I think like people have a right to defend themselves and their territory is being eroded. We know that there is an Israel, but there is no like Palestine at the moment. And at the same time, Israel has never declared its borders, which means that it has its eyes on expansion, just like ISIS. And that is the, essentially the problem. Like, you can't tell people you can't fight while they're being killed. And the reason Mm. for the recent conflict is because Palestinians 
in Jerusalem were being removed from their homes and their homes were taken over. That's mm. why the rockets were fired. Mm. As yeah. well as the yeah. mosque. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the mosque. That was that was pretty pretty uh pretty disgusting, if I'm honest, to uh Yeah. Like that should be a place of worship, like which whatever religion you're from or believe in or don't believe in. That's that's but people's you see, like the, yeah. The um <laughs> the hardcore religious Zionists, they want to destroy Al Aqsa Mosque. That's on mm. the agenda. Because on top of it they want to rebuild the third temple so that the Messiah will come. It's a messianic mm. prophecy. So there's mm. this really crazy, like crazy element. Um are the are very ISIS-like. What is that, the third uh, temple? The third camp? The, yeah. Oh, well, I'm not going to give it to the liberal Zionists. <laughs> so I'd say the third camp are people who want the one-state solution. That's what I would say. Okay. Okay. It's, is it not just? Like, without justice, you can't have peace at the end of the day. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what moral argument against it? That's what I would like to hear. Yeah, no, I would love to. I would love to hear any anyone who who yeah, who can actually make a case for that. But I, I I haven't I haven't heard anyone like successfully defend it. I mean, the the argument that I heard I've heard um, Barry Weiss give, for example, is that you know this is has to be somewhere for Jewish people to be safe in after what happened during the second world war and that they should be um yeah that they need a state in which to feel safe um and i mean i guess i can i can understand like their their fear in a way like number one there's the idea for a state of israel wasn't a reaction to world war ii it was way before that the it was um the as i told you 1910 1920 that was when the first like waves of zionist Im- illegal immigrants were entering palestine i can give you uh like a graph showing jewish immigration to palestine and it shows that like it started way earlier than world war 2 um and in fact who who thought who thought this whole, whole thing up and this is going to sound like a conspiracy because even saying his name is now deemed conspiratorial. But Lord Rothschild, the Balfour Declaration was written to Lord Rothschild. And what he did was he got um, Lord Balfour to agree to um, giving Palestine to, to Jews mm-hmm. if he f- helps them fund World War I. Like that was the gambit. And that was bef- that was even before Britain controlled Palestine. At that time, the whole thing was just Syria. I mean, Syria, when it declared independence in 1920, the Syria that declared independence actually included the entire Levant, Palestine, Jordan, and Lebanon. And that was like broken up by the French and the British. And then the British had it in their mind, even before. World War Two, that they were already starting like this wave of illegal Jewish immigration. World War Two was a catalyst to convince the rest of the, you know, at the time, like the Jewish population thought this wasn't, this is just nuts. Like I'm not going to leave Europe. I, I'm comfortable here. My gra- great grandparents were here. I speak the language of this country that I'm in. Why would I want to go to the Middle East? Like it's hot. It's dry. It doesn't make any logical sense. And so World War II was a catalyst, but really like it was the, the biggest wave of immigration came in the 60s and 70s. It wasn't even after World War II. So, um, and, and also interestingly, like a lot of the refugees that came to Palestine, to Haifa, some of them were housed by Palestinians, like Gigi Hadid's dad. Um, he, uh, like, he became a refugee because his family housed a Jewish family of refugees and they changed the locks to their door. 
And then they were like, the other people, they, their villages were exterminated by um, uh, Jewish terrorist groups and they were death marched without shoes, you know. Why is that okay? Because of the Holocaust? So one, mm. so one you know, do, do two wrongs make a right? No. I don't see the logic in that. No, no, I mean, that's far too, that's, that's often, it's put forward far too often these days. Um, like the idea, like, oh, I can't even remember who the quote's from. It's like the only way to deal with past racism is like present and future racism. It's like, what, what do you mean? Hang on a second. I thought we didn't want that. You know, I, yeah, yeah, I've never quite got got it's that kind of attitude. Um, just for, um, I don't know, posterity here, uh, I've checked out what you said about the Balfour, the Balfour Declaration. And you're right. It says the, the Balfour Declaration here, this is history.com. So, I mean, I've, I feel like this is, fairly credible it says it was a letter written by british foreign secretary arthur balfour to lionel walter rothschild in which he expressed the british government's support for a jewish homeland in palestine um so yeah anyone who thinks that that was a crazy wild accusation is yeah wrong that's true <laughs> it's 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 so yeah but like sometimes you you have to do these things at the uh, these days because you know people would just be like oh that's misinformation <laughs> Mm. Like now, um, it's come to the point where you can't even say the word word Rothschild without someone saying you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. But I mean, this is history, and what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is the idea of stealing Palestinian land and exterminating them existed long before the Holocaust. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So um, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about was um, you'd made a video about the U.S. funding uh, Al-Qaeda. And, uh, yeah, I was just curious um, about that, whether that was still going on um, and, uh, yeah, what was happening there. Yeah. So interestingly, um, as you know, like the CIA had a program of funding militia groups in Syria. And one of the groups, um, Al-Zinki, beheaded a child. This was one of the CIA, um, like, moderately, moderate groups that they confirmed were moderate, like, went on camera and they beheaded the kid. So it was very embarrassing at the time. And, like, that led to, um, as well as the fact that the weapons that they were be being given to those groups were ending up in the hands of Al-Qaeda because they would just sell them to Al-Qaeda. And they were all kind of working in cahoots anyway. So because of that, Trump wasn't, you know, he actually shut down that CIA program. Mm. But now what they're trying to do is they're trying oh, to say... Oh, you don't hear about that very often, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> what they're trying to do is they're trying to say that Al-Qaeda is not actually Al-Qaeda. That Jabhat al-Nusra is now reformed. The Al-Jolani, the head of Al-Qaeda, is... Really, he's, he's, a, he's actually ready to work with the Americans now. And the fact of the matter is that they control Idlib, right? They control Idlib province. So there's literally no other options for the Americans other than to work with Al-Qaeda. So therefore, they have to clean up Al-Qaeda's image because they need to fund them. And that's what's happening now. They're cleaning up the image. And there's been evidence that the... Um, the U.S. military is making contracts with these mercenary groups or like private, you know, contractors to supply weapons in the form of Kalashnikovs and, um, you know, uh, RPGs, anything from the Soviet era and just send them over to somewhere. And that place is probably Syria because the, the U.S. military is not going to use Kalashnikovs and Soviet-era weaponry. Who's going to use it? It's going to be the rebels. So I think once this, once they success, it's going to be very difficult. But PBS interviewed the head of Al Qaeda, and they're really moving in this direction. That once they clean up Al Qaeda's image enough, to they will will start being open about the fact that they're actually sending them weapons. But they are. They're already happening. The weapons are coming through Turkey, which is NATO, um, across mm. the border Syria. At the end of the day, the most important thing for the U.S. is to keep 
Idlib province under Al-Qaeda control. Not be, they want that because they want to prevent the Syrian state from having, because Idlib province is like the really um, the northwestmost region of Syria. It's got like forests and rivers and greenery. And we need that because the like we have 20 million people and the, the, the east side of the country is a desert. But the northeast side of the country is like the perfect place to grow wheat. And 80% of the wheat comes from there, as well as like all of the oil. So the U.S. is occupying that region. So the point is to keep Syria starving and weak. Why? Because of Israel. That's the only reason. Mm, that's interesting just to also um confirm that you were right about the trump ending that program it says here um new york times uh critics in congress had uh complained for years but the costs more than one billion dollars over the life of the program and reports that some cia supplied weapons that end up in the hands of a rebel group tied to al-qaeda um and yeah trump shut down the program in august of 2017 um, that had been started by Barack Obama, I think, in 2015, it says here. Oh, yes. 2013, sorry. Uh, yeah, so again, if anyone thinks that that was rubbish, that's not, that's, uh, it was the truth. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Maram, it's been, it's been fantastic. Do you want to tell people where you can, or where people can find your stuff and, and, and whatnot um, to, you know, or promote anything you're, you're doing at the moment? Yes, um, thank you for this like very brave discussion. I really like. I'm worried about you now. No, but just joking. But thank you so much for being open um, to some of these ideas that are deemed fringe. I, I hope everybody looks up diligently everything I'm saying, um, and that is all I could ask for. You can find me on on YouTube as Syrian Girl Partisan. And you can find me on Facebook as Partisan Girl. You can find me on Telegram as Syrian Girl Partisan. And you can find me on Twitter. Hopefully, I'll be able to get it back as Partisan Girl mm. as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I, what are they going to do? Ban me? <laughs> Probably <laughs> at some point. They haven't banned me yet, so it's fine. Hopefully, we'll, I'll be able to keep going. I like to think that I, I come, like, I approach things reasonably enough that they can't be like, you're a nutcase. And I talk to people from, like, literally every, I try to talk to people from every, like, point of view possible. Um, so I have, like, everyone from, like, pure communists to um, people who were at the January 6th riot insurrection oh. thing. So, I like, I, I, I like to think that there's no way anyone can be like, oh, he's just like a right-wing nutcase. And it's like, haha, pin me down, please. <laughs> no worries. Well, for the record, uh, you pushed back on a lot of my ideas. So if anyone has a problem, just notice that it was me saying all of this. So, um, <laughs> yes, I, I exactly. I look forward to hearing more from you. Maybe, like, as you investigate more, um, you might mm. be. If you want to hear from me again, I'll be happy to come on. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. Don't forget our sponsor, ExpressVPN, and my book, Brexit: The Establishment Civil War, can both be found in the links in the description below. And also, please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow. Until next time, thanks for listening. Screw the hedge funds. You can make as many rules as you want, but if there's no teeth behind them, what's the point? Well, like Citadel is potentially just gone in a few months. It feels like financial institutions, that they are all laughing at us by buying GME. <laughs> Screw the hedge funds. Like, I will lose my entire investment if it brings them down. Why on earth, last May, could you buy the entire company for $200 million? What's been happening on Reddit and in social media and in the marketplace? has never been seen before. I argue that nothing is off the table. There is nothing off the table when dealing with the volumes of money and something as 
big as the United States uh, stock market. The hedge funds have clearly underestimated a group of a group of people raised on Friday night World of Warcraft raids. Dark pools. They are they're another uh, mechanism to manipulate and cheat. Mainstream journalists don't say these things for a number of reasons. Uh, one is their sources are the people that I'm talking about, and so they can't call somebody a crook. Super Stonk and the other communities that have emerged are a hive mind, the likes of which we have never seen before. It's madness and brilliance, insanity and genius all rolled into one. It's very possible that Citadel will be gone in a few months. And, and not just Citadel, but the entire financial system has the potential to come crashing down. These crooks continue to gamble recklessly with the world economy, and this could be the moment that they finally get their justice. <laughs>